Hi, Zach. Hey, Steven. So, Zach. So, Steven. Wouldn't it be weird if human viruses acted like computer viruses, in that they're tricky and they try to find workarounds to immunization efforts? And they turn off your brain until you send them 10 Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that is just about what this fungus is doing. It is using what's called a Trojan horse. So a computer Trojan horse is something that looks like a good thing, but is really a bad thing for your computer. So it could be a picture from grandma, which is really a virus, not from grandma. Or it could be when... $100 on iTunes if you click this link, and then you click the link, and then your computer is ransomwared and everything is bad. And that's basically <laughs> what this fungus is doing. Cryptococcus neoformans. Uh, it's a fungus that can be found in the excrement of flying tree rats. So like with with a computer uh, Trojan horse virus, it disguises itself as something good. So what's the good thing that it disguises itself as with this fungus wait pigeons are rats quick addendum <laughs> flying tree rats includes pigeons and bats bats i can see those those definitely like it makes sense to be a flying tree rat for a bat but a pigeon yeah that's a little strange isn't it so essentially the fungus gets into your bloodstream latches on to a good cell a monocyte okay so it it gets inside, like the actual original Trojan horse of Greek mythology, it takes a monocyte, which is a thing that your brain wants, and goes inside of these monocytes, and then once it's into your brain, then it can escape from the monocyte and affect your brain. Yeah, that is pretty scary, actually, because then yeah. your immune system can't detect it at all. It sees the monocyte and says, okay, you're good, but really inside the monocyte is a deadly fungus, which apparently kills 600,000 people each year. And they just figured out how it works now? It appears so. So, if you see pigeon or bat poop, don't breathe it in. Just generally avoid it, probably. Yeah, I can't be much good in it. <laughs> when I read that it was a fungus sneaking in as a trojan horse i was thinking it tricked your body into thinking it was like an antibacterial thing because those are all molds and fungi oh yeah i didn't think about that i didn't think it was going to go inside another cell i thought it was just going to like disguise itself as a red blood cell or something mm -hmm. put on a funny hat and one of those groucho marks nose mustache combos Apple just had a big announcement on March 21st of a bunch of new products and updates to old products and a red iPhone. Ooh, that's, yeah. that's for a good cause. Don't make fun of it. It's a weird time to release it, I guess, is the bigger <laughs> issue. But yes, I 100% I respect the idea of the product red line. Right. So one of the headlines that came out as a result of the March 21st announcement was that Apple's Playground, Swift Playground, which is their sandbox for people who want to code on the iPad, now supports five new languages. Ooh. Which would be really exciting, right? Like, that's crazy. You could do Python in it or something, right? Yeah, that'd be cool. But that's not it at all. Oh, no. Why would Apple ever do anything that would be outside of the Apple ecosystem? Uh, no, this really exciting headline is exciting for a different reason but not the kind of reason that gets me excited. Uh, Apple is updating their Swift Playground to five new human languages. Oh. Chinese, Japanese, French, German, and Spanish. That is less exciting, you're right. Less exciting for us in our Americanized view of the world, and more exciting for the people who speak Chinese, Japanese, French, German, and Spanish. Yeah, but I wanted to play with Python on my iPad. That would be super cool if <laughs> Apple actually was expanding that line. Um, it's still good 
that they're working on Swift Playground and updating it. It's good to see that they're still thinking about people developing code or working on code just within these sandboxes. Right. You know what they should do, Zach? Hmm. Make a new human language and make that the default language on all Apple devices. Apple proprietary? Yeah. That way they don't have to worry about uh, making things in different languages and they can save time and resources. I suppose, yeah. That'd be that'd be the Apple way to do things. It's just one unified system all across everything. And then you don't need to translate it or whatever. Yeah. You just expect users to fit into your model of what a user looks like. Exactly. Which is speaking Applese or whatever they're gonna call it. Yeah. I feel like the one of the problems with that is that Apple doesn't really have a good translation app right now that isn't Google based or Bing based or whatever. Right, yeah. Well, you'd assume if they invent a new language, then they'd make one that can translate it from at least what they have, at least uh, what the iPhone currently supports, which is quite a few languages, I, I think. There, there are a lot of different tech pundits out there who imagine this glorious world where Google buys their own island, that you're free of copyright and all of these different things. Do you think if Apple had their own island? that only Apple Maps would be allowed to show it on a map? <laughs> um, I don't know how satellite stuff works as far as copywriting and uh, privacy. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think that the Apple Spaceship Campus would be blocked from Google Maps, nor do I think it would be like if NASA wanted to take pictures of the island, then it would say, hey, don't do that, NASA. We're going to sue your butt off. I mean, yeah, taking pictures is is one thing, but as far as, like, getting the actual roads down and directions... Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. They wouldn't let anyone else do that. You could only route around Apple Island with an Apple device. That was one way to take that article. Can I just say that I didn't even notice... I looked through the pictures in this article without reading the actual text, and I didn't even notice that... Swift Playgrounds was entirely in what appears to be Mandarin and or Japanese. I cannot tell the difference. You can't tell the difference between English and... No, I can. I didn't notice uh, the difference. I looked at the picture and didn't see the Mandarin. I just saw text. Huh. It's interesting. Oh, it is and all simplified the... Chinese. Okay. Yeah. And all of the code is still in English. That's strange because... to me. The instructions... Well, all programming languages are... All generally accepted programming languages are written in English. If you want to start writing in Fugue or whatever, be my guest, but... Hold on. I have to look this up. Yep. Um, okay. There are Chinese versions of different languages, but they're, the languages themselves don't get translated. So there's Chinese Python... But and it works the exact same way as English Python, but it is a technically different programming language. Hmm. But it it's just the word for length or whatever instead yeah, of exactly the American or the English instead of the English word for length. <laughs> um, fugue is not in any spoken language. Uh, fugue is written in musical scores. What? It's all um, pointers, which are locations in the memory on your computer, and you change pointers based on the intervals between the notes in the music. Uh, it sounds awful. Yeah, it I does not look fun. Or useful. No, none of those esoteric languages are useful in any way. But, like, it's not even fun, though. Like, it's, not, it's a kind of cool idea. But it doesn't, like... I mean, it's just as fun as BrainF, which is essentially the same idea. You're just referencing different pointers with uh, greater than, less than, and a plus. I think those are the three characters that you use in BrainF. I guess. All right. Most people know about BrainF, and I guess I don't know if many people actually code in it. Probably not. My toothbrush uses key charging. Key? Is that how it's pronounced? That's how I pronounce it. I don't know how to. It's QI charging. Okay. I think I've heard chi. Chi. But I'm really not sure. 
so what key charging is, or qi, or qi, or let's look it up actually. Uh, okay, qi pronounced c h e e qi. Qi. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's like your your qi. I guess. Yeah. I, spo- I think it's supposed to be. Uh, so, my toothbrush uses key charging. Qi. Qi charging. Ah, crap. <laughs> my toothbrush uses qi charging. It's a... I feel like you need to keep that whole thing in there. <laughs> it's a Philips Sonicare. That's the one with the... It's the fancy electric toothbrush that doesn't have any inputs or outputs, but the case plugs into the wall? Uh, not mine. Not that one, okay. Mine is a stand, and it's a little... It's uh, about twice as big as a headphone jack. Twice as long in diameter, that is. And you just set Mm -hmm. the toothbrush on the charger, and it charges it without any metal exposed. Which is good when you're going to be running it underwater. Yeah. And I have never seen a better use for key charging. Qi charging. Because it's it you can't just like throw your toothbrush on a pad and hope that it charges, but it mm-hmm. does still work really well. Yeah. Yeah. So so she one of the things about it is that it needs to be aligned just right for it to actually charge. I know that was an issue with some of the earlier Android phones that had wireless charging, was that they would come with these pads that you could set the phone on. But if you set the phone a little bit too high on the pad or a little bit tilted, that it wouldn't properly charge the phone. Hmm. So, yeah, having a base like that where it actually slots in yeah, it makes a lot of sense. is a good, good way to do wireless. I've heard really unfounded rumors that Apple is just going to get rid of all their ports <laughs> on the next round. That... And it's just going to be a, a black rectangle that you have to set on a pad to charge and connect with your airpods to listen to music i mean it'd be nice except i don't know how they do itunes syncing unless they're going to do that completely wirelessly as well over um over wi-fi or something i'd be interested to know how many people actually do plug in their phones anymore because most syncing is done over yeah icloud now i do but only to do backups i just realized you know what would be great what? If they did that and used it as an excuse to get rid of iTunes. Ooh. iTunes is an abomination of an Apple product. And it needs to die. Yeah. Yeah. I think they should. I, I feel like they'd they'd still need all of the iTunes servers up, though, for... For Apple. Like Apple, yeah. and they, Apple TV. And... Yeah, they make a different app for that, though. It's nothing... Just make an Apple Music app and... Mm-hmm. Make it better than iTunes was. <laughs> I mean, there there is an Apple Music app out now, isn't there? No, it's just iTunes. I'm pretty sure. I use just iTunes, and I have Apple Music. Hmm. There's a music app for phone, and there's an iTunes app for iPhone, but the iTunes app is only to buy things, and the music app is only to listen to things. Okay. And you want it to all be one unified thing. Yeah, and have it not look ugly. Yeah. I feel like that'd be even harder to wrangle with connecting a device to a Windows computer then. Get rid of those two. If you were just all the Windows computers <laughs> and ultimatum from Apple. <laughs> I'm just going to stop producing products unless no one buys Windows computers. Well, um, I think <laughs> they would lose that battle. Probably, yeah. Enterprise is still a really big market. Yeah. But yeah, that is... Qi charging is is a really particular technology that I think a lot of people thought was going to be much further and much more important right. nowadays than it has actually become. Yeah, I mean, I still like the idea. I like the idea of just putting my phone on my nightstand and have it charge. But if it doesn't work well, I'd rather just plug it in. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be something so mindless you don't even need to think about positioning it just right or anything like that for it to be if i want to position something i'll just plug it in so when you encrypt something zach 
you're taking two pieces of information. You're taking the thing you want to encrypt and the key, and you're mushing them together, and you get a thing that comes out a third string of newly encrypted information. Okay, so Stephen, why do we need random numbers to encrypt things? Why is it important for computer security? It's important because when two parties want to exchange information over a tapped phone line, say, mm -hmm. they send a they make a random number, a random prime number, and another random prime number, and they multiply those numbers together, and they send yep. it to the other party who does a similar thing, and they exchange it, and from the numbers being sent over the phone line, assuming they are large enough, it is not possible for a third party in the middle to figure out what you're saying unless they have those first two numbers. They would have to factor that insanely large prime number to mm -hmm. figure out what you're saying. So is that um, to agree on a key, to agree to agree on yes. the thing that you're encrypting with? Yes. That's, that's not actually for sending each message back and forth. No, that is done with a key, with the key that you agreed on, but you agreed on in secret without actually exchanging the key. Because if you exchange the key right away, if you just say, hey, let's use the key password with an at sign instead of an A, then the NSA knows that and can listen to all your communications because they already have the key. And there's no point mm -hmm. in encrypting if you just have the key. But if you can exchange the key without actually sending the key over the line, then you're fine. But you have to do that by making two random prime numbers. Yeah. But if someone in the middle can guess or can know what prime numbers you're using or what then they then they can know the password, the key. Mhm. Mm and that's why it's so important to make random numbers or to make computers as random as possible. Just just for that part though, not all of the bits of computers. Just yeah. the just the cryptography it's, part. It's important to make computers able to make pr random numbers. Okay. So now, we got teleportation. We're doing it. We really have cool. it? Yeah. We have teleportation right now? Yes. We can teleport photons and electrons and small things like that. Awesome. Small things affected by quantum mechanics. They're so small. Okay. So we don't have, like, person-scale teleportation. I feel like Not I even close. No. heard about that. But we have minute. We have... Yep. Yeah. We can get a photon from point A to point B over seemingly any distance. In zero time? Essentially. The amount of wow. time it takes to copy the photon. I'm putting a minute physics video in the uh, show notes that the audience should watch because it's very interesting and explains it very way better than I can in the amount of time we have. But basically, when you teleport something, you have to leave it scrambled. Basically how it works is you have a cat on one side and you have the materials to make a cat on the other side, but not in the right order. So you scan the cat in whatever way they do and the cat, that information goes to the other place on the moon or whatever and it assembles the cat that way. Okay, so and you take a random pile of cat stuff in one place and an actual full cat and you just swap them essentially. essentially yeah and the process of scanning the cat disassembles the cat yeah and makes it extremely random as random as it could possibly be it has to otherwise it won't work and again minute physics explains it much better than i can in way more detail mm -hmm. so but if you're you driving or something and can't watch a video yeah that's basically how it works so when we get large-scale teleportation, that will be a way to make random numbers. Actual random numbers, not just the stuff that your computer comes up with based on whatever time it is. Mm-hmm. So... Because your computer is very deterministic and cannot actually make random numbers. Not really. It can make very close to random numbers, but not actual random numbers. It's still guessable if you have enough information. So artificial intelligence is really, really cool. Yeah, Learning out very cool. It, the idea that computers can learn is so crazy to me. The issue is, any sci-fi movie about AI will tell you this. 
it's that once an AI gets going, it's going to learn really fast. And maybe you don't want it to do something and, but, and won't be able to stop it because it learned how to make how to stop you from stopping it. Mm-hmm. It, so, it figured out how to read lips and won't open the pod bay doors anymore. Exactly. And what we run into is, well, the, the easy solution is to put a button on it say, that says stop, a big red button. Yeah. And when you press it, the AI just shuts down. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. That... Yeah, it seems like it should work, mm-hmm. except it doesn't really want to be shut down. Even in a specialized AI, not just a general one, if you, there's two types of AIs, I should say. There's a specialized AI that just plays Go or just uh, gets you tea or something. Mm-hmm. And then there's a general AI that is like me and you and just learns about everything and does whatever it wants and doesn't have a specific goal. Yeah. So uh, even a specialized AI will have this issue that it does not want you to press that button. Because if you press that button, not only will it die, but it will not accomplish its goal. And that's its whole yeah. thing. Yeah, so AIs are built with, right now they're built with utility functions, which is just a way for you to define what's the thing that the AI wants to do, what's uh, the right thing to do, just like eating sugar for a human tastes good because it's good for our body in the right amounts. Um, you have this utility function that, tells this AI what tastes good, essentially. Yeah. So when you put a stop button on an AI, you have to assume it, it knows that it's there. And if it starts doing something like, say, its job is to deliver pizza. Mm-hmm. And so it gets in a car or whatever, it communicates with the car that drives itself, doesn't really matter. Yeah. It drives a car to your house with a pizza. And I'm a researcher sitting next to it, making sure that it doesn't freak out or anything, because it's still a robot, still in testing, say. Yeah. And it's about to hit a person in their car, in the car. Mm-hmm. So you push the big red sp- stop button, and the car stops, and everything's fine. Except what would actually happen is the robot would fight you. It would not let you push the big red stop button. Because that means it's no longer delivering pizza. Yeah. Which doesn't give it that feedback loop essentially it doesn't release the dopamine to to give a biological analogy essentially the robot is addicted to delivering pizza (laughs) (laughs) so so what's the solution the solution well the next logical step is to say okay delivering pizza is good but pushing the button is also good yeah which also does not work because as soon as you turn on the AI, it the, goes through and thinks about, what do I need to do? I need to deliver pizza, and okay, the red button is also 100 points, or whatever the system is. So it just wakes yeah. up and presses the button. That's like, get, yeah, like getting a dopamine thing every time you cut off a limb. Yeah. Which is <laughs> not not what biology has engineered us to do. Definitely not. So the next solution is to make put the button in a place that the robot can't reach it. So only you can push this button somehow. Mm-hmm. Then the AI will maybe deliver a few pizzas, but then eventually get bored and try to convince you to push the button. So it will yeah. intentionally hit a person with its car to try to get you to push the button because it's easier yeah. than delivering pizza. Yeah. So the solution is to make it not care about the button. If you push the button, that's cool. If you don't push the button, that's cool too, which is not an easy thing to do, as far as I can tell. Yeah, that that sounds like... Because something either does push up its utility function, or it doesn't. Right. So how do you design something to just not affect it at all? I cannot tell you, because I am not an AI researcher. Fair enough. And the YouTube video I watched on it was not that in-depth. so here's the idea zach Mm -hmm. you put a button in a bank vault okay and tell the bank vault ai that if someone pushes that button you lose and you get dopamine hits for every time someone does not press that button yeah and then whenever there's a break-in because there inevitably will be yep 
it learns. But it won't be an actual button, it'll just be someone broke into the vault. Yeah, a, a metaphorical button. Yeah. Uh, I just realized a problem, though. Okay. Because the easy solution is just to make it either impossible to get into the vault for anyone, or to destroy the things inside the vault. So you'd also have to yeah. put it in that, hey, this is, it, it, it's in here for a reason. <laughs> it's not the vault that needs protection, it's the things inside of it. Wait, and, so what does this have to do with the big red stop button? Um, it's... Or is it, did the stop button problem just get you thinking about, what if we gave an, I, an AI a button? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. What's the purpose of this AI? The purpose of the AI is to protect the things inside, inside the vault. Okay. But, again, the easiest way to do that is to just have the vault locked at all times. Yeah. Which is not useful for the bank. So what's the solution to that? How do you get the robot to understand that, I mean, you could also give it a dopamine hit when someone with authorization takes something out. Mm-hmm. Would that work? Yeah, I suppose. All right, cool. We fit. There, take that, AI. <laughs> but what if, what if it starts doing something wrong, I guess? Or are you just thinking about possible applications of AI? Yeah, I am now. If it starts doing something wrong, if it starts locking people out of the bank, then you should have another stop button, I guess. An indifferent stop button. <laughs> so it all, all comes back to the, the problem of how do you make a robot not care? Yeah. How, and I don't know. I, I don't even know how to make myself not care, not just a robot. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to... I mean... In theory, it would be pretty indifferent about hitting the guy with the car. Yeah. Like, oops, hit that guy with my car. But I don't really care that I did. Mm -hmm. It would have to be something like that. The button would be just completely irrelevant to this thing. But it wouldn't be completely irrelevant because it stops it from completing its goal. Yeah. So, So the real problem is not necessarily just the stop button problem, but giving something a singular goal. Like, my goal, if I were a pizza delivery guy, among other things, I would have the goals of deliver this pizza, get paid, don't get arrested on the way. Right. Also, and the yeah. best way to, to do that is to not hit anyone while I'm delivering this pizza. So you need to just find the right mix of goals, perhaps. But what do you yeah, do maybe. when you realize that you missed a goal? That, like, yeah. we forgot and to then... program in, not get arrested. And then you don't have a stop button to say, hey, stop. Yeah. Darn ongoing problems yep do you think eventually um we'll have to delve into the world of psychotherapy to start devising ways to interact with ai oh yeah maybe and psychology psychology um i think that it could be a good idea yeah oh man then ai researchers are going to need um a major in computer science and psychology which will definitely be an interesting mix of a person <laughs> yeah yeah that would so then it becomes a very specialized thing. The top AI guy would be like the top bank security guy. And that you get paid a lot for bank security, but that means you need to know everything about banks and everything about security. Right. Yeah, you can't just know about security because then there's some inner workings of banks that you aren't aware of and it's bad. Mm -hmm. So last week we were talking about email inboxes and um i mentioned i had an issue in that i was pretty constantly not at inbox zero because at least in part i have a bunch of youtube notification emails coming in telling me that people that i subscribe to have uploaded a new video and i don't want to miss the videos that they upload but it's also a hassle every time that i go through if i get a new email from youtube you need to click on the link that they send you in the email and then go to the youtube video and then pause it real quick and go down and add to the watch later playlist and that's a whole hassle so we were trying to figure out ways that i could speed that process up and make it more efficient for me to go through my email so i've been playing with that the last couple weeks and the first thing that i tried was if this then that which is just an online automation software service that goes through and it has one thing that happens, if this, and then that causes something else to happen, if this, then that. Um, and there's no good way 
to interact with YouTube's APIs and add a video to a playlist using if this then that. So if this then that was out. Mm. So then I looked at Zapier, which is kind of a step up from if this then that. And that does have some API functions, but it also costs $20 a month. And I'm not about to spend $20 a month to make my email slightly more easy to manage. (laughs) Um, So now I'm looking at REST APIs and the Amazon web service and uh, all of the uh, different Amazon developer tools that they expose. So REST is an architecture for ways for computers to interact with each other. It's a way to describe a computer interaction, I guess. Um, And it's based primarily on HTTP, which is the Hypertext Transfer Protocol. If you look at the first bit of any website, it'll say HTTP or HTTPS. The S just means secured. And well, well, is that not the case? No, it's not. HTTP is Hypertext Transfer Protocol, and HTTPS is Hypertext Transfer Protocol over SSL. Ah, okay. Or TLS at this point. It was originally SSL. Okay, so... So SSL stands for Secure Sockets Layer. Oh my god, it's it's an infinite, infinite fractal (laughs) of acronyms. TLS is uh, Transfer Layer Security. Okay, and those are just ways for computers to talk to each other without somebody in the middle getting in the way and reading what they're saying. Yeah, and they all rely on random numbers. All right. (laughs) Um, So HTTP is really the main thing that REST relies on, and that's just a series of protocols that each computer connected to a network should understand, such as Git, where my computer will say to another computer, hey, get me this thing using HTTPS, or delete or push or post, um, which all do pretty much what they say. Um, and it's just a way for a language. And it's just a language that other computers can all talk together with each other. So REST now is a... It stands for Representational State Transfer, another acronym. Uh, transfer just means that I'm giving information between me and the YouTube servers back and forth. State means that uh, we're transferring what the system looks like on the YouTube side, what their state of their servers and all of their memory components are. Um, And representational means that I have some way of referencing all of the things that YouTube has on their servers. I have, it's called a URI, a Universal Resource Identifier. Um, There are so many acronyms. I didn't realize this as I was trying to explain it in my head, but it's just, it's just all acronyms. Yeah. Um, so a URI is just a way for me to reference something that's on another computer. Um, and URIs are handy because you can have multiple URIs reference one document, one state. So with REST and RESTful APIs, uh, which just means that they work the way that you would expect them to work if they're using REST, um, <laughs> uh, I send HTTP codes to another computer, um, and that computer either sends me a result back or goes and asks another computer, and then that computer sends the result to the computer I'm talking to, and then that one sends me the result back. In some way, I get that result. Okay, so now that we've defined all the acronyms, using these URIs with the HTTP protocol, I can communicate with other servers and expect them to work in a restful manner, which is just a, a, a way that you can, that another computer can work. Uh, is there a better way to describe that? Uh, not really. That's pretty good. Okay. So YouTube, to interact with playlists, I need to be able to work with their REST API. So I've been trying to learn all of these different terminologies just so I can start learning their YouTube API. And I haven't gotten to actually making anything work with that API yet. But so far, it's just been trying a lot of things and then learning a lot of acronyms. Uh, One thing that I have learned from this, though, is there is no easy way right now to automate anything on the internet without using Amazon. IFTTT is based on Amazon's S3 storage system. Zapier is hosted on Amazon. And if I were using REST, unless I want to set up my own server and my own email chain and everything, 
uh, it's going to be really the easiest way would be to use Amazon's Lambda functions and all these different tools that Amazon makes it really easy to use. Um, and at this point, Amazon has just become the backbone to every single system on the internet. Yeah, uh, AWS kind of came out of nowhere. Like a while ago, they were just like, we have some extra money. Let's just, we have some extra uh, servers, that is, and let's just uh, rent them out and see what happens. And then it started becoming a service. And then before we knew it, a third of the internet is on Amazon. That's not an actual number. I just made that up. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really big fraction. And actually, Amazon, just one of their servers went down or started encountering too many errors or something a couple of weeks ago. And it just shut down a good portion of the internet for three hours, whatever day it was that Amazon went down. That's pretty crazy. And not really in the spirit of the internet. It had a spirit. It would be individualized and... but still connected. Yeah, distributed. The internet really relies on a distributed model. Yeah, if it if it's all in one place, then the... Did you watch the IT crowd? Yes. It uh, this is this might be a bit too referency for people. Yeah. It, then it really would be that black box with a red light on it. Mm-hmm. You could you you can just break the internet. Yeah. That's that. See, Kim Kardashian was going about it the wrong way. You don't need a bubble <laughs> butt to break the internet. You just need security access to Amazon servers and a sledgehammer. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot of people with a lot of sledgehammers. They have. A lot of servers. Uh, yeah. Or just a lot of time. I feel like they have decent, like, monitoring on their servers. So if <laughs> a bunch of them start showing up as sledgehammered, they're going to get somebody in to check that out. Is that an HTTPS status code? Probably not. Er that's that's error really weird. 40... <laughs> error 407, sledgehammered. There is, um, I'm a little teapot as an HTTP status code. What? Yeah. Was what does it mean? Um it was implemented as a April Fools joke. It was the whole By who? Uh whoever makes up the HTTP codes, the <laughs> IEEE or whoever. Um that they had a whole protocol uh list that they came out with that you could interact with an internet connected coffee pot. <laughs> so you could uh, and additionally to the git and post and delete methods, you could also send a brew call to this coffee pot um, oh god <laughs> but if you're not a coffee pot so you can't brew things you're a teapot instead then you send back the error code of i'm a teapot <laughs> did it have a number yeah i don't remember what the number is though i played the saxophone now i saw just now looking at the show notes how did that happen well I before this I played the trumpet and mm -hmm. more recently I started playing the French horn which is similar enough to a trumpet in that I could learn it in a few months and it turns out that the saxophone is much different than a trumpet or a French horn yeah both the trumpet and French horn use one hand for the fingerings mm -hmm. the valves and then you shift octaves and pitches with your lips by buzzing more quickly or less quickly yeah but with the saxophone you blow onto a reed and that's the thing that vibrates mm -hmm. and it uses two hands for the different fingerings mm -hmm. which is the hardest part for me because i'm adjusting from one hand to two hands and getting my two hands to work at the same time mm, yeah. going from and yeah so just uh Concert B-flat scale starts on a G, which is the first three fingers, and then it goes to an A, which is the first two fingers, mm -hmm. then to a B, which is the first finger, then to a C, which is just the middle finger on your, of your left hand, and then to a D, which is your first three fingers and the first three fingers of your right hand, plus an octave key. Mm -hmm. And then it goes from there and to an E, F, and then back to G, and then you go back down for the scale. And it's just really hard to get to go from C to D because my fingers don't want to, I guess. I don't know why they don't want to. 
but they don't. They'll just keep forgetting, and I'll push all three down and start playing a G, but remember that I have to press the bottom three as well, and that... So it sounds like... Yeah, I don't... I, I just play percussion. I could never get the whole wind instrument thing down. Yeah, and I'm sure once I get the saxophone down, then it'll be fairly easy. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's so much different. It, I'm basically relearning everything. Whereas yeah. with the trumpet, with the uh, French horn, that is, I had to learn like maybe 50% of what it, what it is, how what it takes to play an instrument. Yeah. Does, is the saxophone... Also easier in a way, though, because you're not having to focus on your embouchure, like the shape of your mouth as much? Uh, in a way, but after a while of playing trumpet, it just becomes instinctual, I think. Mm-hmm. And that, like, you don't really think about how fast or slow you want to buzz. You just do. Yeah. And it's a lot like, like singing in that way, where you can just hum a note and then hum a note right above it. Or sing a song in your head without actually thinking about how fast you need to vibrate your vocal cords. Mm -hmm. Um, But with saxophone, all the notes are a different fingering. And for me, at least, I actually do have to think about um, what the fingerings are. Yeah, so it's it's the difference between... Like, I know when I was speaking Spanish, I don't play any wind instruments, so I don't have any... A a very good... (laughs) Uh, way to connect with it but like when i was speaking spanish and taking spanish classes um sometimes like in the beginning mostly you're thinking something in english and then translating each word separately and then making sure that the sentence is right and then you're saying it in spanish and then as you go further up it's a natural thing where you're just kind of thinking in spanish more right and i think that actually applies a lot more than to music than a lot of people think, because some people can read music. I personally cannot. My sister, I think, can. She plays the piano and oboe and whatever else she plays. She's musically inclined. But she can look at a piece of music and figure out how it's going to sound without translating. She just reads it. Where I have to actually think about, okay, well, that's a... Those are two eighth notes, so it goes da-da, blah-blah, and so I'm doing more translating of music while she's actually reading it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely translate music a lot more myself as well. So do you think... I have have two more questions, actually. Um, One, you've gone from one hand to two hands, so is your next move going to be to the drum set or to the organ? (laughs) Um, Well... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get a next step. I am mostly playing saxophone because I am bored of trumpet and French horn, mm-hmm. just in the school's band, and I want to learn something different. Also, the saxophone is essentially free for me, yeah. because it's the school's and they'll maintain it and stuff. So I don't know if I'm going to learn a next instrument, if I'm going to have time to. Mm-hmm. All right. And then um, additionally, all instruments are about vibrating different things so do you think that the flash from dc's the flash could be an instrument unto himself yes i think that would be very challenging for him maybe if it was just like his hand could be an instrument Hmm. i don't know what sound that would make though i can't imagine that i think it'd be like a like a v, it would be a v sound? Yeah, maybe. It's just weird to think about because a brass instrument and a woodwood instrument have a very different sound even though they're playing the exact same note mm-hmm. and vibrating the air around it very similarly at the same frequency. Yeah. So if the flash vibrates his hand at a C... What would not... Like, you know the note would be a C, but the sound of the instrument would be different. Yeah. I feel like there's got to be a way to figure this out. We'll talk about it next time on the podcast after we've done some more research. Yeah. So, Stephen, uh, you've been telling me, and I think you might have mentioned it in the podcast, that you've been doing a Model UN project. And I 
know that that just happened. So I was wondering how that went and if you could give me a rundown on how Model UN actually works. Okay, well, Model UN is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. We get to go to a conference and pretend to be delegates from a country in the United Nations. Mm -hmm. And while we're there, we write resolutions and try to solve the world's issues. And as far as how it works, it works a little bit differently for each host. This one, just recently, was the Wisconsin Model UN in Milwaukee, UW-Milwaukee, where you are, actually. Yeah. And we actually saw you there, and it was pretty cool. But basically what... I'll just go run through the process quick. So this is the State Model UN Conference, so it's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. The first thing you do is go to a subcommittee on an issue that you've been researching. For your country, in my case, it was Iceland. Mm -hmm. And the issue was cybersecurity just in general. Yeah. And Iceland is very much a supporter of a free and open internet. So any regulation that anyone would try to impose upon really anything, Iceland would kick down pretty quickly. So it wasn't too hard to play the part. Yeah, no, it was actually, it was a lot of fun, actually. I'm decently good at it. Uh, so once everyone basically says their position of their country, you go in and you start negotiating with other countries to write a resolution, which is a solution to the problem of cybersecurity, or a almost solution to the problem of cybersecurity. It's getting there, at least. So for Iceland, it was just a lot of, hey, maybe don't try to regulate the internet, internet so much, because they didn't need my vote, but I can be persuasive mm -hmm. and convince a lot of other countries to say no to it as well. Yeah. So at some point when, <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but at the end, everyone, when they were writing their resolutions, would say, hey, Iceland, is this okay? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, a lot of, it was a lot of fun. So I could just sit there and go and check up on other resolutions being written. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what we finally ended up agreeing on was a two-step program. The first step being a reactive task force mm -hmm. in which if a country had a data breach, then they sent they would send all the logs and stuff to they would voluntarily send all the logs to this task force and then their job would be to track down the criminal and prosecute yeah so for a developing nation that's very good because it's low cost and you don't have to spend money trying to figure out what happened to all of our citizens tax records mm -hmm. the second part was a proactive measure basically a yeah it, it's a system, a architecture of some sort that we didn't get into the details of because no one knows anything yeah. about the specifics that basically the UN would sell to countries if they don't want to spend money rolling their own system for keeping information secure. Okay, so the, the UN would act as a cybersecurity firm, essentially. Yes. That's exactly what happened. What would happen, and that again, that's very—it's all voluntary, so it's not infringing on anyone's sovereignty, or because that's an issue apparently. Con countries don't like it very much when you try to impose regulations on them, <laughs> not just Iceland. So is that like—is that an actual issue that's happening in the real UN right now? And they took that thing that was recently debated in the UN and made that a topic for you to discuss or was it just a sort of randomly selected topic it is a topic that is frequently discussed at the un and it actually gives us a lot of information about what the country would do mm -hmm. in that situation but the resolution that we write are pretty independent from the actual un it's all our, our ideas mostly um after we pass a resolution that goes to a committee which is, uh, in this case, in this conference, um, two delegates from each of the countries. And then we debate it again with more people and more countries. Mm -hmm. When that happens, you can some of the countries can write amendments to the, uh, to the resolution, and then we vote on those, and eventually we vote on 
whether or not to pass this to the General Assembly, the GA. Uh, so once it gets to the GA, it's all the countries with all the delegates, and it's a team of delegates for each country now. Mm-hmm. And we go through all of the resolutions that were passed in the conference. And yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it sounds fun. I was there, I was helping to run it on the AV side, and um, mostly I, I didn't have to be too involved with the actual UN discussions, but at one point I was sitting there uh, making sure that all the systems were in order and working, and I heard the talk that your um, your ability to pass notes was going to be revoked at one point. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a high school conference, so there was some personal note there were some personal notes being passed mm-hmm. rather than just the official country to country hey are you going to vote for this notes and what can we do to get you on our side vote notes yeah. turned eventually they'll turn into like hey iceland do you like me yes no pretty much <laughs> yeah so <laughs> you're not really supposed to do that apparently apparently i also think that came i also think that came as a result of the uh proposition to add the death star to uh bill on space weapons yes yes that did happen although i'm pretty sure that happened in official amendment form (laughs) rather than just notes for uh the reactive part of the cybersecurity uh resolution there was a amendment to make the people on the task force or replace the people on the task force with dolphins to make it fair fair to whom uh, fair to the countries involved, so there's no bias, so Russia can't be like, it totally wasn't Russia, guys. Ah, okay. So yeah, instead of having two delegates per country that are involved, you just replace them all with dolphins and hope for the best. All right. Dolphins are smart, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, there was uh, actually this one passed uh, to defend space from aliens. There was a amendment to make an army out of polar bears and penguins, I believe, <laughs> to protect space. <laughs> oh, and combat global warming, of course. Yeah. Because if the polar bears are dying, we should make them, we should weaponize them so that people will put more money into saving them. Mm-hmm. As we've discussed before, the best way to ensure something gets funding is to make it try to kill you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was, uh, it's a overnight conference, so you start at about 8 o'clock in the morning, and you go until about 3.30 the next day, mm-hmm. with some sleeping time in between. That sounds, sounds really cool. It was, it's not for everyone, uh, but it was, it was cool. Do you think you're going to keep doing it? Because I know a lot of colleges have Model UN teams. Um, that's gonna be probably a sophomore steven decision because i will definitely put too much on my plate my first year definitely all right zach we have a classic case of someone having too much time on their hands how do they do it here's what happened someone made conway's game of life inside conway's game of life why again too much time is the only explanation i guess so Conway's Game of Life is a cellular automata in which you draw patterns and then uh, as an as an initial state you draw pad- patterns and then each generation of cells is affected by these rules. Mm-hmm. And the rules are any live cell, so a, a cell that you filled in with fewer than two neighbors dies as if caused by underpopulation. Mm-hmm. So if that cell has less than two neighbors, then it will be off in the next generation. The second rule is any live cell with two or three live neighbors lives on to the next generation. So if it has two or three cells directly adjacent to it, yeah, then it would then it will live to be the next into the next uh, round, mm-hmm. essentially. Number three, any live cell with more than three neighbors dies as if by overpopulation. Any dead cell with exactly three live neighbors becomes a live cell, as if by reproduction. So if it has two neighbors, then it will 
live. If it has three neighbors, then it will live. And if a dead cell has three neighbors, then it will become alive. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And you can make some pretty crazy stuff inside of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone made a working digital clock in it. (laughs) But this one, this one takes the cake. Because someone made Conway's Game of Life inside of Conway's Game of Life. For the the really weird Conway's Game of Life aficionados, there's a couple different ways that something can go. Um, Like you can have a blinker, which is just it switches between two states. I think the most common blinker goes from up and down to sideways to up and down again. And it just switches every uh, tick of this game. Um, And then there are different ways to like send a chain. And so you can just have one little unit um, somewhere send a chain of these live cells moving up or moving to the side. Um, And so this uses a lot of those different components to make the logic for a game of life. Oh, wow. This is crazy. Um, so like, I just, I just like watching it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really fun to watch. And it'll be linked in the show notes. How much time do you think this took? I don't even know. I think like once you get the rules for how to make it, um, how to make one square, like once you get one square surrounded on each side with square, then it's just the process of replicating it. Right. And then it's like the XKCD comic. Which one? The one where he has infinite time and infinite space and infinite amount of rocks and can simulate a universe. In yeah. It. Yeah, once you get... Because once you get the little components of logic... Once you get one particle, yeah. Because I'm guessing that each cell somewhere just has one cell or chunk of cells. Each of the larger cells has one smaller cell that keeps track of whether the larger cell is alive or dead. All right. So my question is, now that this person has figured out how to implement logic um, and, like, yeah, so it's it's mainly the logic, that circuit circuitry logic, digital logic, um, in Conway's Game of Life, how long before we get Milton Bradley's Game of Life in Conway's Game of Life? I'm unfamiliar with Milton Bradley. The the one that you can buy at Walmart with the spinner in the middle, and you got the cars and... Oh, <laughs> right, the yes. board game, Game of Life. Probably a while. This... <laughs> uh, better question, maybe, is how long before we get Doom on it? Ooh, yeah, that's... It's gotta be coming. Yeah, it's ne- next project. A project that we can add to uh, my Habitica tasks. I guess we could. I feel like that's less a habit and more a long-term project, but <laughs> I guess I don't yeah. know exactly how... It's definitely an omni-focused thing. Exactly how you use Habitica. Well, as of right now, I am not using Habitica. All right. I do not like it. What was the... It, it has the same problem as any old habit tracker or a task manager in that it just does not give you enough incentive or disincentive to do things. Mm-hmm. Getting experience in gold and losing health is just not enough to make me actually want to do things. So I think if I want to make a habit, I'm just going to have to do it out of sheer willpower. Yep. One of the better ones that I've seen that doesn't take too much energy to maintain is um, to take just a sheet of graph notebook paper and just have use each row for each day so start with april 1st or whatever and just move down with each row of this graph paper and then have each Mm -hmm. column be the thing that you want to make into a habit and then just every day at the end of the day you just put an x at the row that is that day and the column that is the things you got done and it doesn't use too much energy or brain power to do but it's a good way to visualize right what you've gotten done yeah it's like uh the it's the github um calendar yeah commit tracker Mm -hmm. it just feels good to have a little filled in box but habitica gives you too many boxes to fill in and represents filled in boxes in a in a weird way that works for some people but not for you not for me yeah if you want to get in contact with us about anything, you can tweet at me. I am at the Punsguy. 
And I am at NotStevenBerry. This is the Worrying Bugs Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, please leave comments, uh, rate us, do whatever you gotta do. Spread the word, please. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.